Section one, we sort of looked at, really we looked at the first two sections. I think the last time we were together, since we had a week off um, last week because we were working. But um, I won't go back through those two. And tonight we're probably only going to cover, we might cover the rest of it, at least the third section, because I think we might have discussion about this. I hope we do. But the first, uh, the first two sections, just a real quick review. Um, it talks about what is Christian liberty first and foremost because the tendency, and we'll get to this tonight, you think about, for me, if I think about Christian liberty and freedom of conscience, I first of all think about stuff I can do and stuff I can't do. And so I like that our confession starts with, well, you get back up for a minute. We got to look at what, what real Christian freedom and real Christian liberty has done in the beginning. And it talks about it in a negative sense in that we've been given freedom in Christ from the guilt of sin and from the condemnation and wrath of God, which is awesome. So it, it kind of talked about it in a negative way, um, freedom from guilt. This is something the gospel has given us, and condemnation. And sometimes it's easy to forget these things, but this is what we've really been set free from. And then it says we've been delivered from some things. I'm not going to write all these down, but you follow along right there. We've been delivered from this world or this age, this age of sinfulness and wickedness. You know, really, the Bible only has two ages in mind, this age and the age to come. That's it. In fact, I think we've talked about this before. If you want to keep your eschatology simple, just think of it in terms of this age and the age to come. <laughs> That's the only ones there are. All right, there's not no in-betweens. We, we, it seems like the Bible keeps it that simple. Um, and so we've been delivered from this age, this sinful, wicked age, this adulterous generation, as Jesus referred to it. We've been saved from it and delivered from it. We've been delivered from the bondage to Satan. So we're not in bondage to him. We've been delivered from the dominion of sin. So we don't have a slave master anymore. Satan is not our slave master. Sin is not our slave master. We've been delivered to righteousness. That is our slave master, but God, we belong to God. We've been delivered from suffering of afflictions. We talked about that. We haven't been delivered from afflictions, but we've been delivered from the suffering of afflictions. That's an important difference. So we can have afflictions, but we don't suffer under them the way those apart from God suffer in them. We are able at some point, it may take a long time, but we hopefully are able to see that there is purpose in our afflictions, right? And so... We've also been delivered from the fear and the sting of death. That's huge. We talked about that Sunday a little bit in worship with the resurrection. Hey, Jesus overcame uh, that passage in Hebrews that's so beautiful, how he took away uh, those who all their lifetime were subject to bondage of the fear of death. He destroyed that. We've been delivered from the victory of the grave. So there again, oh grave, where's our victory? Where's your victory? Death, where's your sting? And also, ultimately, we've been delivered from everlasting damnation. So I think that's all. If you're just following along with me down through there, that's the things we've been freed from. And so it's very important, first and foremost, when we think about Christian liberty, we think about that in terms of what the gospel has done for us before we start talking about, well, what can I do and what can I not do? Um, and then it says, because we've been delivered not only from some things, but we've been delivered unto some things. We've been given free access to God, and we talked about that. 
and we've been delivered to obedience to God out of childlike love and a willing mind. Now, I think this is very important. We didn't talk about this much last week, but I want to say something about it before I move to this next section. You know, a lot of times, um, as, as a Reformed-minded person and a Calvinist, we have a hard time talking about works at all, right? We just don't even want to mention it. Well, you can't do good works. Okay, we know that. But here's the thing about, here's the beauty of what God has delivered us. All these things I just mentioned, I didn't write them all down. We've delivered, been delivered from all these things and delivered unto free access to God and obedience to God so that God is pleased to accept our obedience and even reward it. So here's the good news about freedom in Christ. I can't do anything good on my own. I know that. But I have been made, uh, created unto good works in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 says that. So I know going into the, the stuff I'm supposed to do that even if I do it, probably my mind's messed up, my motives are messed up, whatever, but God is still pleased to accept my obedience even though my obedience is messed up, right? So it's not, I don't stand up here and say, forget about works, nothing you do matters. We're just a bunch of puppets on a string and God does what he wants to. God is sovereign and God has purpose. But in the gospel and what we've been freed from is beautiful, but we've also been freed to do good works. And God accepts them and even rewards them. Not because we do them and not because we're good at it. Because like I said, a lot of times we obey God even when we don't want to, right? <laughs> we do like we did when we were children, obeying our parents. I don't want to do this, but I don't want to get spanking, so I'm going to do it. We don't, but, but I like what it says here, out of a childlike love and a willing mind. So I'm going to do what I see in the scripture to do, even though sometimes I won't do it well, sometimes I won't do it the right way. Sometimes I mess up trying to do it, and sometimes I don't do it. But the thing is, I can do it because God's called me to it, and he's freed me to it. Part of the gospel blessing is that God will receive my good works because he receives them in Christ. It's Christ's goodness in me. So I don't think that we should, I don't think we should be bogged down about this and be so afraid, well, I can't even say do this. Because I understand when I say do, that's law. Because anything that the Bible says do, that's law. And I can't really do it. But because I've been set free from sin and, and, and uh, my depravity and my wickedness and my wicked mind that was an enmity with God and now I've been given the mind of Christ and all these beautiful things that the Bible says and I've been set free from the dominion of sin and from all these things that had a hold of me and now I've been made a slave to righteousness so I can do these things. Again, will I do them well? No. Do I do them so that God will say, ah, oh, good job. No, I do them because what God's, God's already looked at his son and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And he sees me through that, right? So I think that's where we get mixed up. Um, Megan had a friend this week that sent her this video of this Catholic priest who had decided that the real sin in life was not lust. The real sin in life was pride. That's the ultimate sin, he said. But then he said... So what we have to do, you know, what we have to do is we have to submit ourselves and humble ourselves and open ourselves up to God in prayer. And then 
the answer to pride is humility. So once we become humble, then God will accept us. And for, you know, there again, sorry, but you've messed it all up. I don't disagree that pride is an issue. It's problem. I think pride goes before the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit before the fall. I mean, I think pride was in the garden. That's what happened. But still, once we, if we move from this is where we messed up and now here's how we can fix it, we're already in a bad spot. And so, and of course, I would expect a Roman Catholic to say just that. So I'm not saying that. I'm not saying now that God has done something for us, now let's do something from him, for him and he'll accept what we've done. For, but what I am saying is because of what he's done for us and who we are in Christ, we are free to do these things. It doesn't mean we'll do them always, and, but I think it's important for us, especially, as I mentioned, to be people who believe in the doctrines of grace and believe that God is sovereign to also believe that. But when Jesus says, um, love one another, and by this the world will know that you belong to me, then we should love one another. And we've been called to that, and we have been have the ability to do that because it's Christ that's in us. And, you know, perfect love casts out fear. Not our love, his love. And so I just thought, when I was reading through this and thinking about it, I thought, man, you know, that's really good. I don't know if I'm able to spill it out of my brain, spill it out of my brain as good as I feel like it's in my brain, but I hope you understand that because sometimes that is hard. And, and like I said, I myself sometimes find myself afraid to say, do this. You know, this is what the Bible says, go be obedient because, you know, I know I can't be obedient. But yet, God has set us free to this, and he's pleased to accept it and reward it because it's Christ. It's his good works through us, right? Well, and I think he, he puts that in us to do good works. Yes. You know, to, to enjoy doing the good work and, and enjoy helping somebody or enjoy serving something yes. or, or whatever we're doing. Um, I think he puts it in us to do that. If that makes any sense, that that the opportunity is there, and we may have prompted by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. or it may look like I'm being prompted to go do that. Because look, there's an opportunity to serve, mm-hmm. and I'd like to do that. Um, it's like in my wheelhouse of mm-hmm. wanting to do. Um, wouldn't you say that th- those are the, th- the things that? that um, the, the good works that he prepared beforehand for us to walk in. Right. And I think that's the key. And what I'm trying to get to here is because they're, we're about to move to this next section where it starts saying, okay, um, now we're going to talk about conscience and the things that you're free to do and free not to do. Mm-hmm. But first, you've got to understand the foundation. It's the gospel and all the things that God has done. So like I said, Ephesians 2.10 is awesome, but you've got to at least start in 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus and the good works. So as long as we understand that, and, and you know, just trust God. At times, God remind me that even though I just did some awesome things that you, you allowed me to do, these, I know this is you. The good is you, mm-hmm. not me. And whatever good we see in us, we know it's Christ. And that's all. I think that's the only, I think that's the key. I, I don't think we should have to be so afraid to 
to think about good works because we have been created to do them. And sometimes we're enjoying bad motives. We're just sinners. Right. Well, like I said, even when you know the right thing to do and you do it, but you're like, in your mind, I, I would rather be doing something else, but I'm going to do this because it needs to be done. I see it needs to be done. You know? Or even if it's stopping to share the gospel and you're like, I really, you know, I got 10 other things I need to be doing, but I guess, you know, I mean, I can't even say I haven't done that before. I've shared the gospel in a hasty manner and like, you know, if they want to stop me, I could have been on them down the way. Our brains and everything is still broken until final redemption, but we have been redeemed and God is redeeming us. And like I said, I think it's just the order. As long as we recognize we do what we do as a result of who we are rather than we do something hoping to become some, somebody. That's the difference. We're not going to become anything greater. God has saved us to the uttermost. So, um, anyways, anything else about that? Jason, I would like to bring up, that's just like, um, as a church family, I feel guilty sometimes by not helping, um, say if someone has passed. Right. Um, and then it's like, Donnie, you can't do that because that's good works. But I feel led to take food. Or I, right. I feel, you know, somebody's sick to yeah. take them food. And I think you, you should. Know? That's what I'm trying to say. I, I want to be careful that I don't make people not do that because that's, that's not what the gospel says. I mean, the gospel says we ought to love each other and help people. When they need something, do it. I think that just, just so we understand that you're not doing that so God, you earn favor with God. You're doing it because of who you are in Christ. You're going to do this because it's the right thing to do, and this is who you are in Christ, and you should absolutely do it. That goes along with the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, and it is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Yeah. And so that's why I, I thought it was just important to point that out because I don't want anybody to feel that way. Oh, these are works. I'm not supposed to be worried about works. Well, we have to be worried about them. Just as long as we know that we're not doing them so God will, will save us. Or, or love some, us more. Or, huh? Or love us more. Yeah, love us more. And like, you know, more notches in my belt. So, you know, I'll, I'll have a bigger crown when I get to heaven than the other people. No. But I think we should. I mean, I think people are correct. You know, if, if, if we weren't created under good works, then we wouldn't be here tonight. There wouldn't be a church. You know, I mean, people, plant, people scattered all over the world to plant churches out of obedience to what they've been called to. And so... I recognize that sometimes we're guilty of that, and, and sometimes uh, people, unfortunately, are correct to say that some, this theology sometimes can lead to people not doing anything, and that shouldn't be the case. And it if makes it, me think of the, the, the James one twenty seven uh, where he said religion that God accepts is to look after orphans and widows, the love that we have as Christians causes us to do those things. Yeah. And it's, even though we have the theology that says we're not saved by good works, we still do them because of the love we have right. for God and neighbor. Yeah, and James will say, I'll show you my faith yeah, by my good works. Exactly. Not, and that's not to go out and say, we're, we're going to show everybody that we belong to Christ by, we're going to do all these things so people will look at us. Mm-hmm. But it is a, this is who we are. I mean, orphanages and hospitals and food pantries, all these things that Christians have been responsible for for ages, for beginning, is because 
that's who we are. And we are created under good works. The, the problem has always been that we've confused that, and this is why, this is why there was a Reformation, to get away from the Catholic Church who said, if you want to go to heaven, you've got to do these things, and you've got to keep doing them. And if you don't do them well to our standard, and that's what we're about to get into, then you've got to keep doing them. You gotta do, now you've got to go back and back up and do this. And then you still, the only thing you've got to look forward to is purgatory because nobody's going to be good enough to get there. So then you've got to go somewhere else and work for 10,000 years and pay off this debt. And again, I think that's why our, found, our framers of this confession, they're fighting against that in real time. And they're like, okay, no, first of all, we're going to remind you what you've been set free from. You know, the, the wages of your sin, the condemnation and wrath of God. And you've been set free because now you want to serve. I'm not serving to say, oh, I hope God don't strike me dead before I get this good work done because I want him to accept me. No, I've been set free. Nothing can harm me. Kill me and all you do is translate me to God. But I'm going to do what needs to be done. I'm going to do the good works. Yeah, there's therefore now no condemnation that's here in Christ. Very similar to what me, Sean, and Jeremy were talking about earlier today, where we're trying to put together like a, a philosophy of discipleship because there's not a whole lot of uh, books out there that give like a way that you can measure success in a ministry outside of how many people you've saved and how many people you've baptized, and that that's the measurement of a good church as well right. if you get fit in a Christian index. Right. So, and, and so, uh, but it's, it, it's a struggle because uh, this, in a lot of churches today, we, we've separated evangelism from discipleship. And you go on Tuesday night evangelism trips, uh, which I did mm-hmm. all right. the time. I did too. And, and, but, but you, the gospel's for unbelievers. The discipleship is for believers. And, uh, and so you do all this stuff so that you can, your church can shine uh, over the state. Mm-hmm. But uh, it takes away the, the participation truth. Right. But see, I love, I mean, back to what Donna said is... To me, you know, because I've thought about this a long time. I, used, I sit down and wrote all these, trying to write these discipleship plans years ago when I was at church full time. And I had time to sit down and do that. I tried to figure out the same thing. What does it look like? But to me, or if I, if I organize Tuesday night evangelism, we're going to go knock on 25 doors. Everybody won't show up. Some people will show up. We'll go do that. But to me, if you're, if you're learning who God is, you're learning the gospel, how it affects your life, and these truths... If you're out there doing that everywhere you are, to me, that's a better representation of who we are in Christ than, well, we're great at, you know, getting together up here and going and doing something once a month. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but to me, one of, one of the key factors to me of somebody becoming a disciple is when they are doing these things. You know, yeah. the, the pastor's not there saying, hey, it'd be a good idea if we went and did this. It's just getting done. And then if God gets the glory, that's who we want. I mean, we want God to get the glory. If our church gets mentioned, fine. But it's not like we're out there wearing our T-shirts and say, well, make sure you recognize. I mean, we're the ones doing that, you know. Because to me, 
that's when we start, you know, I'd rather, and I do know that y'all do this. To me, that's a, that's a greater blessing as a pastor to know that the people that are listening, coming to church, worshiping, listening to me preach, that God is doing the works through you wherever you are. Even if, it, even if we never reap one benefit from what you do, we're, that's not why we're doing it, right? We're not, we're not out there. I don't want you out there doing something and think, man, if I do this, we'll get some more people in our church. But rather, because of who I am in Christ, I'm, you know, you don't even have to think about this, but this is ultimately what it is. Because of who I am in Christ, I'm going to do this. And, you know, if along the way there's opportunities, and, and, there, and that happens remarkably. God, where do you go to church, you know? I want to I see, you know, why do you do this? Why, why would you do this for me? Why, why do you care about this? Then you get the opportunities. Well, just because what God's done for me. You know, it doesn't even have to be, you know, well, let me share, let me show you a, a whole, you know, read the 1689, you know, that, this is why I do it. You know, or it's just because of who we are. So I think that's good. I'm, I'm glad that we stopped and talked about that because it's important. Right. So the size of the church and what we do outside of here is going to be so much more impactful mm-hmm. because we're being fed truth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And see, then, and it doesn't have to all come, I mean, it doesn't have to come under the guise of, you know, like if you're doing that, you're doing what you do, then I, it doesn't have to be Sovereign Savior Church is doing this, you know? This is just, I'm doing this because it needs to be done. And you know, because we are gifted differently, and there's stuff everywhere. That's one thing we were discussing today. Me and Luke just keep saying we've talked about this today. Uh, but uh, okay. a lot of this we discuss. But it's it's amazing, especially in the, the American church. There's so much confusion about what actual discipleship is. Right. Like the church, not to pick on a church, but the church I used to go to. I mean, they'll they'll have their outreach days. But it's just simply knocking on people's door and giving them an invitation to the church. Right. Not sharing the gospel, not not talking about Jesus whatsoever, and just say, here, come to our church. Mm-hmm. And and whereas discipleship, true discipleship in the Bible, you look at Jesus' example of discipleship, it was coming alongside his disciples and literally living life with these people. Yes. It was their entire life. It wasn't just, oh, I'll see you Sunday at church. That's it, right. you know. Well, and things like knocking on doors, you know, again, I don't, if people do that, that's fine. I don't make fun of that or, or whatever. I'm not saying it's wrong. But the, the chances of you individually being able to either share the gospel with somebody or invite them to church and tell them about your church is going to be more likely 99% of the time where you are every day as opposed to we're all going out and going to the street and see people we don't even hardly know and and, uh, you know, and plus we live in a time now where that's strange to people. That doesn't mean it's wrong. But, you know, we don't just walk up and knock on doors anymore. You know, I mean, people, they've all got ring, you know, we've all got those. We see who's out there, and we not, not even go to the door. Yeah, or they Jehovah's think we're Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah. <laughs> even Jehovah's Witnesses yeah. have gotten to where they just write people now. They don't even go to the yeah. door. Yeah, yeah. And so. I, I get letters. I got a letter the other day. I did yesterday. But, mm-hmm. but again, I'm not I'm not saying that's sinful. 
But I am, I do believe, like, uh, to kind of pitch off what Nicole said, if, if I can teach people what little bit I know and we can learn these things together and we look at the scriptures together, then the chances are going to be greater that wherever you are, you're going to have an opportunity to be useful, even if it's, even if it is feeding people. You know, maybe I do a lot of things that I don't, I get a lot of opportunities amazingly in, in what I do for a living to share the gospel. I do a lot of things I never get that opportunity. You know, I think in my mind this might lead to that, but I do things that, again, it's, and, and these are to people that will never come to our church, probably never go to any church, but if this needs to be done, I'm going to do it. Why, I, I do you know, want to say, too, that, like, one of the, I mean, there were a number of things that brought me to the church, but one of the things was y'all's generosity and, and giving me supplies when my mom was sick, and and y'all did that out of, out of love, not, you know, it's like, I mean, I didn't even know y'all, but y'all were like, hey, here, you need this stuff, take it. Um, so that was definitely one of the influencing factors, just like, you know, you, if you're just going and loving and you feel called to do it, definitely do it, because, I mean, it influenced my decision to come to Sovereign Savior because it was like, man, these people actually, you know, yeah. they're, they're actually caring about the people that come here, even the people they don't know, because nobody knew me, especially at that time. So. Right. And it was just to do because you needed it. It wasn't necessarily, hey, if we give him this stuff, he might come to church here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, again, as humans, we can't lie and pretend like that never crosses our mind. But at the same time, if it needs to be done, you do it because it's the right thing to do. And it's. I mean, Christ condemned people for, you know, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was naked and you didn't clothe me. But he appraised the ones that did those things. And again, it wasn't, so I'm going to save the people who did those things and not the people. But it was, obviously, if you knew me, you would have done these things. It's a fruit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Very good. Anything else about that before we move to this next little section? We may not get, we won't get done with this because I think this is going to lead to a lot of discussion. Because this gets to where, this kind of gets to the crux of what are we talking about with Christian liberty and liberty of conscience? Um, in this statement, I agree. I, you know, I read, I've got the commentary from uh, Ren, James Renahan, and he talks about that this verse two is one of the most, this is one of the most well known. Paragraphs in 1689, and he said to it's one. He he believes it's one of the most important, well-written paragraphs that's ever been written anywhere about anything. But it says, "God alone is the Lord of the conscience." So that's very important. So we just talked about. Hey, guess who set you free? God set you free from sin, from condemnation, all these things. He set you free to love Him and to obey Him. So guess who gets to make the decisions about what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do? God. All right? The preacher don't get to decide. The church don't make a list of rules that you've got to follow. God alone is the Lord of the conscience. And, and I've confessed this many times, but I've been a part of this kind of church. I've been a part of this kind of teaching where I thought I had to monitor everybody's behavior and I was responsible for making people do right. I'm not. I can't do that. And I don't have the authority to do that. Um, they're not doing it out of the right motive either. They're doing it to, right. like when we say, because we want to become something or someone. Yeah. Or to lord it over people. I mean, right. again, remember what they're, they're, they're separating themselves 
clearly from the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church at the time that did control people. I mean, they're burning people because they're printing Bibles that people can read. You know, I had somebody try arguing with me about this the other day. Well, people didn't really read. They were reading when they were getting Bibles in their language. And the Roman Catholic Church hated that. And they were burning people over it and killing them. Digging up their bones and burning the bones. I mean, they hated that people were, had a Bible in their hands so they could say, wait a minute. This guy said this, and that's not what's in here. Yeah. Yes. Right. And so it goes on to say, and since God alone is the Lord of the conscience, he has left it free from human doctrines and commandments that are in any way contrary to the word or not contained in it. So believing such doctrines or obeying such commands out of conscience is a betrayal to true liberty of conscience. And requiring implicit faith or absolute and blind obedience destroys liberty of conscience as well as reason. Uh, and reason as well. So, and like I say now, we're going to have to really wait till next week to do this. But um, you understand what it means by, well, let, let me just start back here. We've talked about a lot of this uh, foundational stuff. We have a gospel liberty because of what God's done. He has set us free. And he's also set our conscience free. So personal freedom and liberty of conscience must be built on the foundation of true spiritual freedom, the gospel, which we've already talked about. There's no, uh, there's no liberty of conscience without gospel liberation first. And he says, obey out of conscience here. This is what the writers put in here. Um, that means simply to obey commands not contained in Scripture as though they were contained in Scripture. So this is where you start, the, the rubber starts meeting the road in liberty of conscience. Because if you've ever seen a pastor that, or a preacher or a teacher or a church that's called on the carpet, okay, well, why should we do this? Show, us to, show it to us in the Bible. And they're like, nah, you know, they don't have nowhere to show you. That's causing somebody to obey uh, out of conscience rather than obey out of truth and what's written. And I don't know if I shared this last week, but I know I had a friend um, that was in a church where the pastor demanded a certain thing not happen um, during church. And so my friend's sister, polite, not in front of everybody, went to the pastor after church when nobody was around and said, can you please tell me why this is what you teach? Because I need to know why you want me to do this. And he finally just responded, as long as I'm the pastor here, I would just appreciate if you do what I ask you to do. And so that was somebody who, that's, that's what this is written against. Yeah. It's not just the Roman Catholic Church, but nobody has the right to bind your conscience with commandments that aren't written in Scripture. And if you don't have a reason... I mean, I hope that anything we do here, uh, I can at least give a reason for why we do it. You may not agree with the reason, but I hope it's a scriptural reason, and you might say, well, I don't see that that way. And okay, but I hope that I don't. If we have anything that we try to do or teach that I can't take back to the scripture, then we need to fix it, right? That's uh, reforming and ever reformed. You know, we're, we're trying to fix everything. When we get off path, we want to fix back. We want to keep... 
uh, to me, this is the beauty of a reformed church, a true reformed church. That that uh, slogan, "Semper Reformandum," that's what that's what it is. It's we we don't get trapped in traditions because we let the Word of God shape us. And if we figure we find out we're out of line with the Word, then we're gonna we're gonna stop what we're doing and fix it and do it right. Which, of course, we know has been the the, the downfall, at least the Baptist Church forever, because you don't you don't but you don't uh, cross over the old boundaries or undo what they used to do, you know. But, so, um, this is a very important thing I want us to spend some time on, and so I probably won't get into this, but if you want to look, because here's the thing we got to talk about. Okay, so we can't bind our conscience. Only what's written in the Word are we responsible to obey. What about Romans 13? And then what about Romans 14, 21, and 1 Corinthians 8, 13? Yeah, we'll talk about these next week. Romans 13, which is the, the, the chapter on civil authority. And then Romans 14, 21, and 1 Corinthians 8, 13, which talks about don't do anything that would cause your brother to stumble. Yeah. So we've got to talk about those because those are... Those are some areas where if we're not careful, we turn around and we rebind everybody's conscience. We, we make commandments and laws that people have to follow. And so I think it's important to look through those. But if we get started right now, we'll, I'm sorry, uh, Romans 13, that's the civil authority chapter. Then Romans 14, 21. And 1 Corinthians 8.13. Romans 14.21 and 1 Corinthians 8.13 kind of say the same thing. All right. So at least look at those if you get a chance. Read all of Romans chapter 13 and just kind of think through it. All right, what does this mean for me as a Christian? And then those other two passages too. And we'll try to talk about that next week before we get to the final. The final section is pretty easy. Don't leave. There's a verse. Don't use your liberty as a cloak or vice. So um, we'll talk about that when we get to it. But this this is pretty important, I think, because especially in the last uh, three or four years, we've had a chance to put this to practice. And if you've been here for from beginning of COVID till through the bad part of it, you know, I kind of taught through some of this stuff, and it's like, hey, what do we do? That these people are saying you got to shut down, and there's church people saying, hey, Romans 13 says you got to do what the government says. So they said stop. You got to stop. And we didn't. So why could we do that? Or we've been disobedient to Romans 13. That's the kind of stuff I want to talk about. Right. Or if it's right for us to obey man rather than God, you decide. But we're going to obey God. That's what Peter and John said. So we'll talk about that. And uh, Michael will explain how all this works in Romans 13. Yeah. <laughs> I hope somebody will. If you haven't watched 